Welcome to Buy Size Dental Marketing. Today I have Dr. Dominic Fafidio. Dr. Fafidio, I love having you back on the show. I love chatting on the pre-show. And I know that you've been at Apex Dental Partners now, the Director of Specialty Services. But before we jump in, I would love to hear about you. You lead such an amazing life. I follow you on Instagram. I love everything about it. What the heck have you been up to? The funny thing is your listeners don't know. We've been catching up for like 20 minutes and we were like, we should probably just kickstart this thing. Just just start. Yes. yes. I know, but we've developed such a close relationship over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, For your listeners that don't know, I met you through pain-free dental marketing when I had my office and it was so much fun marketing with you guys, doing the photo shoots. I loved really partnering with you to say, okay, what types of patients are you sending me or trying to send me? What am I seeing on my end? But over the years, we've just cultivated this relationship through commonality, and it's been fun. And you always stepped in anytime. What did you say it was um, that I was easy to work with but hard to please? And you said I, I did embrace that. But you're right. I, I had my strong personal brand. I was easy to work with because I knew what I wanted, but I uh, had to tell you what it was that I wanted to embody. And I love when we came together and we made it happen. And after six short years, I sold that that golden goose and then moved on to the other endeavors. So we don't need to bore your listeners with the stuff that I've been doing there. I know you want to know, um, like you said, follow me on Instagram. I'm coming out of weightlifting retirement. I have a meet in a month. It's the first time I am back on the platform since 2019. And your listeners don't know we've bonded over Mm -hmm. powerlifting, not crossfitting, but crossfit. Not crossfitting. Nope, none of that. (laughs) And then weightlifting. But so I'm excited for that. And uh, stuff's just been good. It's been the holidays. And I hope that you've been enjoying yourself. We were having an existential crisis that we were working through earlier. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun. No, I, I, we've been wonderful. And, um, you know, you need to, Andre's been lifting a lot mm-hmm. recently. He's been, he's been working out, he's been lifting and, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm very inconsistent, but, but trying, but now how has getting back in, have you found it difficult to keep? Cause I know you're, I know you're busy. I mean, you've always had a lot of irons in the fire, but. Are you finding it difficult to stay balanced in careers and, and, and getting back into lifting? I love that you made that plural, by the way. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I it's, not- talking, it's not one career. I was talking to my grandmother last night. Yes, I talk to grandma often. And she was like, Dominique, how's your business? And how's your job? And how do you do both? To answer your question, though, Eric, I was actually talking to my CPA the other day. I was actually telling my boss, I love being in the DSO market where you just have so much support and you're supporting others that I'm a lot happier and I have a lot more balance and I can get my training in. Sometimes it's really early in the morning, um, sometimes a little bit later in the morning, but we're talking 630, the latest. And I think I'm performing pretty well because of uh, the balance and the lack of stress. And Mm. I think it just shows you just have to find the career that uh, speaks to you and everything else falls into place. So it hasn't been that bad, but are you alluding to it's hard for you and Andre to get back in beginning of the year? You know, Andre's amazing. I mean, we should all aspire to be as disciplined and our lives put together like Andre's. Um, 
No, mine is not. I'm the opposite. I'm the chaotic partner and, you know, all the things. And I, I think I just make excuses truthfully of why I can't, you know, get things done. I, I don't want to lie to myself. It's just excuses, but I, I'm fascinated. I'm going to change gears here to make this not about me. Cause I get uncomfortable about that, but I read some of the excerpts of your book and I knew you wrote a book. I saw it. And then I was like, well, and then I kind of like, like life moved on and I forgot about it. And then a couple of weeks ago, I read some of this. That is really amazing. That was such a good, good, I can't, what a wonderful accomplishment. I, I, uh, my hat's off to you to get careers in plural. It's so funny you say that because grandma again last night, she goes, Dominique, I loved your book. I read it three times and I laughed and she goes, I read it once and then I went back and I dog-eared things and she goes, and then I highlighted it. And she was like, it's like I was in school again. I got the highlighters out. She said she would underline things that she wanted to come back to that made her happy. And it's funny getting other people's perspective because it's my story that I remember from childhood but then hearing my grandmother's perspective, and it's also really weird to me when people are like, hey, I, I love this story. And I'm like, I don't remember telling them that because I wrote about it. And I don't actually remember telling my neighbor that story. <laughs> but I think everyone should write a book because it's so much fun. Now, what what was it that prompted you to write it? Like, like was there a situation? Was there? Um, I love Kevin Hart. And he wrote a book about his dad and my dad is quite the character. And I started reading Kevin Hart's book and it wasn't as funny as I thought my story was. So mm. I broke out the computer and I started writing it and I started in the middle of my childhood. And then I figured out what framework I wanted for the book. And then when I actually sold my practice and I had about a 60 day um, transition period where I was helping Dr. Brahmajad um, just get comfortable in the practice and then introducing her to patients. I didn't want to be investing more creative energy to the practice because it was now hers that I finished the book. And it's one of my most fond memories because I actually have a thinking chair. It's this cute yellow chair that if I need to be creative, I'm found in that chair. I can sit in it like seven different ways. So I could be sitting in it all day and I would just be laughing, writing these stories and then trying to read them to my husband, but I'd be cracking up. So it was a lot of fun and I actually dedicated it to my husband because I wrote it around our 10 year wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I think the sense of humor I have and the lightness I have around these memories comes from him. So yeah, it's dedicated to Matt, not to my dad, but it was so much fun. So thank you for reading some expert excerpts. I'll get you a physical copy. No, I, it's already on the way. Don't worry about oh, it. Well, thank far, you. Yeah. It's already on the way. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> I know you've been at, so, so you, you sold your practice to Dr. B. I, I love that you remember, I, for the record, I remember one time Ben hung up and, and, you know, looked over and said, Dr. Fidio said that something's not in the marketing, not working and she wants us to take a look. And I think I said the exact words. It, she is so easy to work with and incredibly hard to please. And I, and they started laughing and I said, and I said, but I, I will tell you the, the, in my, it's my belief. And I've said this many times on the podcast. I think that what the, if I could give 
Dennis, one, just, just do this one thing in marketing and you will go so much smoother in your careers. Know who you are mm -hmm. and, and just don't, 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 don't give it up. Just, just, this is who I am and this is what I represent and this is what I want my brand to be. Mm -hmm. And, and while that's not always hard to please, that is incredibly easy to work with and it's so rewarding and because eventually you're going to get there. It's, it's, it's when, you know, they, you're bouncing from one foot to the next, that, that is my life gets chaotic. I, I have no trouble working hard for a goal, but the goal needs to be the goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you always did that with such, with such grace and Aww. it was always, I miss working with you for sure. I thought you were going to say that new patient phone call from when I did your town hall meeting and it was all pain free marketing and someone, I think it was Andre said, could you tell us about your new patient phone calls? And that was the only thing I knew. I didn't know any other way, which to your listeners, I used to call every new patient, usually at lunch the day before and welcome mm -hmm. them to the practice and our cancellation rates went down. But I also had just such an easy day when I was basically walking in the room already meeting a friend because we had a five minute phone conversation that was largely scripted on my end, but then just became natural. And the whole team knew if I called the patient and they missed my call and they called back, it was just Dr. Fifidia was just welcoming you to the practice and she'll see you tomorrow. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a huge pearl for practices. And we actually do practice it at um, Apex Dental Partners, the DSO, the dental support organization that I'm at now. Well, tell me about Apex. What do you want to know? F what do you been up to? I, I know you're, I know you're director of specialty services. Mm -hmm. Talk me through the changes you're seeing in the market. Talk me through, you know, what you're seeing in the DSO space. So I didn't expect to return to the DSO market. I actually, I, your listeners may not know, but at, when I was a resident, I chose to do a residency because I figured if patients want dentistry done by a certain dentist because they're fearful to go somewhere else and they trust this one dentist, they want it to be done by you. And I thought I would do a residency and really get good at root canals, impacted wisdom tooth removal, all of that. Mm -hmm. Then I got into um, a DSO where we actually had traveling specialty services. And I saw how profitable it was for an oral surgeon to come in, do a whole bunch of treatment, and then me be able to do my treatment. And it increased practice profitability. But I started in the DSO market because I saw that it was efficient, that we figured out systems. It was very... Um, KPI um, driven. So you actually, you would go to work, you would work hard, and then you had numbers that could tell you how hard you worked that day. There was a way of measuring it. And then you were compensated handsomely for what you're doing, because mm -hmm. if you have a pulse on the numbers, the, your um, take home, it comes your, your own, um, your own uh, profit. What am I thinking of your own income? There we go. Mm -hmm. Your income is, um, increased, but I then went to go work in private practice and I never saw the DSO as the bad guy. I got to private practice and it was like, man, some of these practices do not know how to operate efficiently. And I actually was buying a practice and taught the owner how to be a little bit more efficient with some of the um, ideology that I was applying from the DSO that I was at and she no longer wanted to sell. So then I opened up my practice and then went and did all of the other things that we were talking about. Never thought that we, I would circle back to the DSO market, but an opportunity presented and it's been feeling pretty natural. I mean, 
the DSO market is it's expected to grow um, to about uh, there is a compound annual growth rate of I think it's 18% they're saying from 2024 to 2030. So I'm so happy to be in it right now. And I think they say about 13% of dentists, usually they're within the first 10 years of graduating dental school, are affiliated with a DSO. But in the next couple of years, they think it's going to be 23, 24%. So that's almost a quarter of dentists um, starting to join these types of organizations. And I just see how dentists, we want to go in and we want to make tooth dust and we want to be working on patients. But you don't always have that operational mindset. So I am on the operations side now, and I love helping my specialists in specific learn how they can apply their specialty services in this traveling specialty model, but then also the GPs on how to refer to a specialist and keep it in-house where you're not going to have any monetary reward if that patient goes out to an ended honest up the road. Right. You don't get anything from that referral other than maybe a gift card and some, some cupcakes. Some cookies. Yeah, exactly. So mm -hmm. I know you said you want to know everything. That's what I'm working on right now. But what other questions do you have about DSOs, APEX? What do you got? Actually, I, I, there were two questions I had as you were talking. The first is I, I've seen new companies come up over the last two years that do drop the oral surgeon, drop the um, I haven't seen so much on the uh, uh, ortho side, but I, I do see it more on the oral surgery side and the, and the endodontist side, you know, placing implants and stuff. Is that, is that the trend currently is, is instead of referring out, dentists are looking to bring that specialist in house. Cause I'm, I'm seeing it across our, our network as well. And is that where you're seeing a lot of the growth today so in, in the market? It's funny you say that because specifically in my job, I'm looking to see what referrals are going out, what referrals are being captured. And of course, there's a huge need for endodontic treatment. I mean, when I was in private practice, I know my endodontist told me I was sending him like $130,000 worth of endo a year, and that was just me. So I'm looking at those numbers and I'm saying, that's huge. But anyone I talk to, they keep saying surgery is the easiest specialty to incorporate. I usually like contracting or bringing on a periodontist because they can do periodontal procedures, but then they also um, can do what you're talking about, implant placement, um, implant site prep. Many periodontists will also do impacted tooth removal. Oral surgeons are going to be limited. They may not do any soft tissue work around um, anterior implants, so mm -hmm. the oral surgeon may be working with a periodontist too. But surgery just seems so easy to incorporate into an office. And I know I brought in an oral surgeon or at least a dentist that was limiting his practice to oral surgery procedures um, to my own Katie Trail dental practice because it was just better. Our patients enjoyed coming in. They had the procedure done. I profited. Dr. Simone profited from it. And it was great. And I also tried to do this with an endodontist as well. And I enjoyed doing the surgery in my office because meaning bringing surgery into my office. Mm -hmm. I, I would treat patients Monday through Thursday and have Dr. B. Simone come in on Fridays. And then it was, I was doing admin work and he was surgerizing. When it was endo, I would follow Dr. Niaves around most of the day, hopping from chair to chair, just treating my patient after she treated them. And it was still hugely profitable and it was very enjoyable, but it didn't give me the relief that the oral surgery mm -hmm. made. Mm -hmm. I was still working when Dr. Niaves would come through. It was just we yeah. were alternating. Yeah, yeah. Now, the 
and the second question I had is you've had a remarkable career in careers through those 10 years into the DSO. What has been the biggest change in dentistry in that time frame for you? Ooh, um... I have my answer, by the way, and I'm going to try not to change mm-hmm. based on yours, but I do have this bad habit of I'll hear someone's answer and then I'll cherry pick part of their answer and make it part oh. of mine. But I'm not going to do that this time. <laughs> you can be convinced, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen a lot of challenges. Of course, the biggest change is pandemic. It was a new normal afterwards. And I feel like we just had to treat patients differently. And we just had a different um, perspective around finances, value, all of that. I'm curious to see what yours is because I see the smile. But then there have just been challenges in the way that we approach periodontitis, um, just self-correcting from your clinical expertise. I think you make your clinical judgment off of former experiences. Mm-hmm. And we're all learning in the practice of dentistry. But I want to hear what your your thoughts were. All right. All right. Mine is, in tw- and I'm going back uh, uh, just about 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think 10 years ago, if you were a phenomenal clinician and a bad business person, you could run a good shop. Mm-hmm. I think today, if you're a phenomenal clinician and an average business person, you're going to have a really bad shop. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about, and, and what triggered that was when you were talking about the numbers, I can remember in the first four or five, six years of working, we would have so many dentists that we would call and, and say, well, how many new patients are you seeing? And they were like, oh, I'm, a, I'm seeing about 40. Oh, I think I'm seeing 30. I think I'm seeing 50. Well, how much are you producing? Oh, somewhere around 180. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I've never done marketing before, so I'm excited. We, we never hear, I've never done marketing before. Like, like usually we're here, I've tried it and, it, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, all marketing people are, are, you know, knuckleheads. But now when we call, they're like, I see 37 new patients and six of them came from here <laughs> and they know their numbers. And I think as... DSOs have come into the market, they have raised the level of the requirements of being a CEO in an effective shop. And I also think they provide a really niche value in the marketplace of dentists, because I think there are dentists out there that love being clinicians and, and, and I don't want to hire people and I don't want to fire people and I don't want to work, worry about my AR. And I, don't, I, I want to come in and just be a great dentist. And I think before DSOs came to, to where they are today. And, and I think they've come a long way in clinical care and, 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 you know, allowing, allowing the provider, you know, autonomy. I think you had to be both. And, and I think that's a very high bar for people to be a great CEO and a great, great clinician. And now I, it, it's, it's, it's my belief that they serve this very interesting space in the market where I can just be a great dentist and, and make a ton of money Mm-hmm. without having to go be a CEO of, of, you know, a small business. And I, I think they provide a service in the industry and in the marketplace that's very valuable. And the quality of care from the first DSOs to today has improved tremendously. And a lot of it is that provider autonomy they're, they're, that mm-hmm. they're, they're having to allow. Yeah, you are exactly right. And I did write a couple things down as you were talking because I thought it was funny that you said a couple years ago, a doctor may say, oh, I've got about 40, about this many. Mm-hmm. 
the other day I was asking someone, how many mutations do you have? And I got the about number. And I was like, with all the reporting, like I would know, expect you to know this. And I actually did talk to um, someone else in the company about that. But there's awareness around it. There's so much more visibility. We're putting it in front of them because these metrics are so important. But I did want to also say, I think one of the biggest changes, again, not in 10 years, but most recently, RDH rate, uh, wages. And you have to mm. really make sure that your um, dental hygienist is not costing you more than producing for you. I think that's been a big one as well. Now, I've heard varying trends on how to do that. I've heard mm -hmm. it do assisted hygiene and, and get mm -hmm. visits down in time. I've heard push um, alter, you, you know, uh, uh, additional things in the hygiene chair to, to, to raise, um, I'm blanking on, you know, when they take the thing and, uh, um, it tastes like caramel. <laughs> Fluoride varnish? Or yes. <laughs> the varnish. Yes. I'm going to have to edit this whole thing. Okay. I've heard there's doing assisted hygiene. I've heard they're, they're selling additional treatments, you know, fluoride. I've heard other plans. How do you see that happen? Because, you know, at current graduation rates, we are not going to be out of the, you know, hygienist shortage in, in a number of years. It, it's so true. So I was not a fan of assisted hygiene. I actually mm -hmm. practiced it if I had to do the hygiene because I just, if someone was out, I wasn't going to reschedule patients. I wanted to take care of them. And it was, okay, assistant helped me so I could take this hour long prophylaxis appointment and decrease it to a half hour. But my perspective was make sure you're just treatment planning appropriately, meaning if it's a scaling and replaning, focus on education in that appointment time and get the patient either reappointed, start one quadrant. So that way, when they come back, you actually have a high dollar amount procedure. And it's essentially firmed up at this point because they may have had one quad treated and not all four quads mm -hmm. just yet. But like you were saying, with the hygiene shortage, I actually started seeing all the new patients on doctor side. So that way I would pre-diagnose and then my hygienist was just doing treatment. Now, if I did have enough hygiene hours um, open and I could fill them with a recare patient for my hygienist, really just making sure that we were calibrated, that they knew what to look for, prep me with, so that way we could have appropriate periodontal diagnosis in the chair, but then also um, seize treatment opportunities that I would have identified. But I just became the gatekeeper for my hygiene department, making sure that I treated them almost like I treat my traveling in-house specialists, that I wanted everything in their chair to be productive for them, that I was doing a lot of exams. And even if there was a patient that it's been a year since they were in, I would put them on doctor side for an exam just to make sure that they were a prophy because a prophy can be done so fast. And if I had to, I could buzz that prophy out in between crown preps, something like that. But I really wanted my hygienist to be doing things that they were trained to do, which are scaling mm -hmm. and periodontal tissue, uh, periodontal management and soft tissue management. To further compound that hygiene issue, mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, someone at Dental Intel the other day and they said that across the entire dental intel platform, they pre-COVID to post-COVID, mm -hmm. they um, they've seen uh, more than a double in cancellations and mm -hmm. you know last-minute no-shows, mm -hmm. and they're typically on the hygienist side. Mm 
and it's a double whammy when you're paying a premium for the role and you have you know 13 percent cancellation over there so one in ten are canceling that, that that's a very costly it's a very costly area of the business that used to be substantially smaller and now's now's a, a meaningful dollar amount in the in the p l yeah mm-hmm. but now i'm going to get back to the specialty services real quick mm-hmm. but when you're coming in to evaluate when an office should bring in a specialist, what are the KPIs or what are the metrics you're looking at to determine who to, because I know you said you'd like to bring in oral surgery and that's the easiest, but mm-hmm. how many cases do I need? How, mm-hmm. how do I know when a break even to bring someone in would be? Mm-hmm. So almost every practice that I'm in will benefit from specialty services, because if you're operating at, um, let's say, X profit margin, and specialty services generally have less cost when it comes to um, lab, dental supplies, you already have the storefront, you already have the location, we are adding high dollar amount procedures. So even if you're only referring one or two procedures out a month, you're still going to have benefit from having someone come in and do that. If it's $4,000 or $3,000 to remove four impacted wisdom teeth with um, sedation, that's $3,000 you could capture and not have to send out. You do two of that, that's $6,000 that you didn't have to do anything for. But in my role, I have to make sure that when we're placing a specialist in a certain office, it's going to be profitable for the specialist as well because they need to be um, benefiting and compensated for what they're doing. So there are a lot of metrics that you can look at and say that if you're producing a certain amount of dentistry, maybe 17% of that would equate to how much endodontic treatment could come out of your office, Mm. things like that. But I usually look to see what referrals are going out, what procedure codes are being referred out, and then I can get an idea of what dollar amount we would be capturing if we brought that in. Now, data analytics only work if you have good data. We don't always have that, so we have to really be expressing why it's worth the time to document these things the way that we want them documented. So that way we can strategize and see where our specialists are going to be most profitable for which practices. But I really think every practice could have an endodontist come in there. I heard a um, statistic that 98% of endo is successful if it's caught early. As soon as there's pathology on an x-ray, that um, success rate goes down to about 90, maybe 92%. So that means don't wait until it hurts. Don't wait until Mm -hmm. we see it on the x-ray. Don't wait around when you say this patient may need an endo, just send it to your endodontist so that way they could evaluate and treat it in a timely fashion. So those are the things we look at and just to see how much real estate you have, meaning chair space. Um, There's a lot of things that we can look at to really do an analysis and make a recommendation for our practice, but I don't see why anyone would not use them. Mm -hmm. No, any practice that has, there's always a lot of trepidation around bringing them in around the the care of the patient and making sure that it they're in alignment and, and mm-hmm. things like this. But, but from an economic standpoint, having someone come into your office, do production and you getting to keep X percent or however it may mm-hmm. work is fascinating. It, it, it's and most offices are open, not five full days, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere between three and a half to four and a half at most. And mm-hmm. you do have the time available, but anyone that I've known that has made the jump, to bring a specialist in has only looked to increase it because as soon as the first check come in where yeah. 
it 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 looks different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't have to work that much harder for it. You just had uh -huh. to communicate to the patient a couple extra things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. Now, where are you going to go next? I mean, you you've you've owned your own practice. You you've you're at Apex. You've written a book. Well, where do you see you like when you close your eyes and and think about where you're going? Do you do you have a vision? Well, you may have just heard the ding, which means in 10 minutes, I'm going to another meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, um, I do really enjoy what I'm doing. I do. My husband had a call with my um, father the other day, and it was not a good call. And he was so funny. He got off the phone and he said, little does your dad know that that was the start of a prequel. <laughs> so maybe there will be book two. I thought about writing a book on my experience being a business owner. Mm -hmm. I do have high hopes to qualify for some masters, um, nationals, worlds, things like that. I am getting to the point where I'm on the top end of an age range, which is never a good place to be in because that means I'm the oldest of the people I'm going mm -hmm. up against. So in a couple years, I will be the youngest of another um, age bracket. So that'll be ideal. I don't plan on moving out of Texas, but um, yeah, I was just talking to my boss the other day about trying not to become complacent and get really excited about the size of the budget that I manage and the people that I manage and trying to teach others the things that I have learned over the years, um, because that's really empowering. I have a team of direct reports right now that there are a lot of things that I'm teaching them and it's so rewarding seeing it work, see how it's um, bettering their work-life balance and just trying to be here for my people. And that includes you and your future endeavors. I know we've been talking about you're doing some things and I'm always here mm -hmm. for you uh, to listen and give advice. Or I just love it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so grateful. I've, I, it took me a long time to get here, but I'm so great. I know my tribe when I see it and I'm so grateful for the people that are in it and, and you're in the, you're in there. So I, I love, I, I feel very strongly that we are at a place in society or life, or, or maybe just I'm getting older. I have this need to protect my tribe, right? The people who are, you know, and, and, and um, yeah, I'm glad to see you out there doing the good work. That's 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 out there helping make people successful and and you know raising the level of care is so is such a good place to be. So yeah. thank you very much. Well, you're helping uh, offices stay in business by getting them the new patients that they need in order to uh, have the positive report card, that profit and loss statement. And I hope I don't intimidate you anymore because I remember the last time we did this, you had said that I was intimidating, little me. No, you, you, I think you underestimate how powerful, I mean, of a personality you are. I mean, I, I remember very early on the FAGDs and the, the stuff that you had at such a young age and the way you ran your practice and, and those things like, don't, you're, you're an imposing personality. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short, buddy. It's the Italian, Russian, Lebanese and me. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to, we're going to wrap up here. Thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to have you on and, and I'm going to let you get to your next meeting, but thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm honored that you, you jump back on with me and chat. Yeah, it was so much fun and say hello to everybody for me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll step out there. there I can hear them behind me all being rowdy yeah. at four o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thanks, Eric.